Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Facts versus Rhetoric. This is part eight of our special Connecting the Dots series. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us on this uh, torrentially raining and damn near hurricane Friday before Christmas. Over the previous seven episodes, my goal has been to first tell you what I'm worried about and then offer you action steps to help prevent whatever badness that is happening from progressing. I hope we can all see the danger in one form or another. I've picked some of the big ticket items to try to point out how they will usher in whatever they're trying to usher in, right? The Great Reset, Agenda 2030, New World Order, Build Back Better. Call it what you want. I just hope we're all seeing a pattern of their actions. We need to forget their words and look at their actions because they will always tell us it's for our own. So when I look at all the dire problems that we have plaguing our society, racism, gender discrimination, gender pay gaps, global pandemics, white supremacy, Russian election interference, Russian invasions, inflation, food shortages, right? Look at the problems they claim we have. And then we look at the solutions to those problems. And they all seem to lead to more human suffering in the name of fighting an invisible made-up problem. I hope we're able to see that. We've been saying one of the action steps to combat this is to never go along with a bad idea that is based on a falsehood because the only thing that results downstream of that is, you guessed it, human suffering. So when the government or the general public consensus tells us we need to get on board and support the next big thing, without question, your internal alarm should go off. And this is step one in the problem action solution playbook that they use. Think of our recent problems, COVID, Ukraine, the climate catastrophe, right? Each problem was sold to us as the next great existential threat to our personal safety. You were gaslit by the people who profit from the solution to these problems, who also own the media companies, who influence your perception on these topics, which influences your behavior, and ultimately influences your action unbeknownst to you. I have a t-shirt that says, on the back of it, it says the same ones who sell the panic sell the cure. And I remember I wore that one day this summer my, and all my family members that were around, just I saw them, they looked at it and they, they rolled their eyes when they read it. And I suppose it is easier to dismiss me as crazy versus entertaining the reality that those who are in power are hurting us intentionally while claiming to help. You know, my mother said to me during a, one of our heated COVID debates, you know, why don't you ever believe what they're telling you? And to which I responded, why do you believe everything they're telling you? We were just talking about the government. And most of my family is in group one. The people who blindly follow what authority tells them without question. So when I'm talking to my family about the problems, COVID, Ukraine, climate, and they're advocating for, their, for the action. And it's the action that they wanted us to have, right? To their made up problem. They were pressuring me to get friggin' vaccinated, wear a mask. They wanted me and my other group three family members to fucking COVID test before a holiday gathering. You know, they're blaming Putin for invading Ukraine, praising Zelensky, and have no problem with the U.S. sending Ukraine $96 billion in taxpayer money as our country is just being destroyed from within. So when the government's solution to the made-up problem that they created is just what everyone in group one thinks is needed, it's not looked at critically. They do not think for themselves. They will obey in advance and they have no problem going along with a bad idea based on a lie. 
I was having breakfast yesterday. I try to go out and have breakfast by myself once a week. And here's a quick mental health tip for everyone. This was told to me. I didn't come up with this, but it's changed my life. Take 30 minutes out of every day and do something you want to do. Read a book, work out, take a nap, whatever that is. Do what you want to do, not what you think you're supposed to be doing. So if you're not already doing that, please start. That has helped me change my life because it starts forming that muscle memory that it's okay to put yourself first. The mental benefits are great. And then you start giving yourself permission to be worthy of, I don't know, carving out a few minutes for yourself. So that's huge because I, I feel one of our biggest problems we're facing is that we're all pressured on a daily basis to participate in some form of forced altruism, right? To do something for someone else at your own expense. Voluntary altruism is virtuous, is totally fine. If you have the time, the means, and the inclination, and you want to do something for somebody else at your own expense, go for it. That's one of the features of being human. It's awesome. But this self-sacrifice, because it's the right thing to do, has always been the downfall of any society. So treat yourself to 30 minutes a day and be hyper, hyper vigilant of the pressure to do something for somebody else. Anyway, I'm having breakfast yesterday. I'm at the counter at this little diner in the booth right next to me. It's got four people there, a husband and wife, probably in their 60s, and what appears to be their kids, a man and a woman, probably 30s, 40s. So dad's there holding court about Ukraine, and he's not a low talker. You know, hey, glad we just voted to send some more money over there. And then mom chimes in, gushing over Big Z. You know, President Zelensky's a man's man. And the daughter chimes in about whoever is doing uh, Zelensky's PR is amazing. And, you know, the comments about the unprovoked Russian aggression in Ukraine is just simply defending their country. And after a few audible gasps that I couldn't keep in, I, I said to myself, listen, I, I can't get involved. This is my time to relax. And I get this like wave of helplessness like hopelessness, like this is how people are viewing this conflict that is bankrupting our country, enriching the military industrial complex. And let's not forget destroying a country and people are dying like, eh. and I had a brief like little pity party. I'm like, what am I doing here? I can't compete with this constant gaslighting that's persuading everyone to be okay with a solution to a bad idea based on a fucking lie. But that didn't last long because being in group three and understanding my responsibility to my children, I told myself to cut the shit. If evil doesn't take a day off, I can't either. So here is what I was going to say to them, but didn't. But I'll just get it out now so I can check it off the list. You guys know the U.S. overthrew Ukraine's democratically elected president in 2014, right? Because they were going to buy energy from Russia instead of the EU, which is where we, we export our energy to. It's so misguided. It's frustrating because everyone just thinks that Ukraine is just this innocent pawn and big bad bully Russia. And it's tough because it's painfully obvious to me, and maybe I'm right or wrong, but we convince Ukraine to try to join NATO to fuck with Russia because we need another endless proxy war because the Afghanistan gravy train dried up. And we know Russia was like, if you join NATO, that's going to be a problem because you border us. And then we tell Ukraine, hey, don't worry about Russia. They start any shit, we got your back. And Ukraine's like, oh, you're going to send some troops? He's like, oh, no, no. Your soldiers and citizens will have to die, but we'll send our taxpayers money. Whoops, then Russia attacks, and then Zelensky calls Biden. And is like, hey, they just uh, attacked my country. Shit got real. And then Biden's like, hey, hang in there, buddy. We're going to send you some more guns and ammos and, you know, months of war and destruction and death later. And he calls him again. He says, hey, uh, Joe, it's... Uh, 
it's Z, the war's still going on. I think we should be uh, negotiating some peace treaty. We're coming into winter. We don't have food. We don't have energy. We're getting our ass kicked. And then Joe's like, yeah, keep holding on. I heard Time Magazine's getting the cover ready for you. We're going to send Sean Penn over there to give you an Oscar. And I'm working on getting you here to address Congress. A privilege reserved for Benjamin Netanyahu and you, big guy. So you're in the club now, baby. And then Zelensky starts believing his own press and loving his new celebrity status and is no longer interested in negotiating peace. Like, isn't this crazy? Like the U.S. overthrows the government, goes them into a war with Russia. And I'm sitting here going, do we have influence in the world today? We certainly had enough influence to goad Ukraine into a war with their neighbor. Have you looked at a map recently? Russia is 2,733% larger in landmass than Ukraine and has over twice the population. Like we have enough influence to convince Zelensky it was a good idea to pick a fight with Russia. And what blows me away more than the fact that we started this war is that there's no calls for us to broker peace. There could have been peace as soon as Russia put troops on the border in February. And you know what Russia wanted? They just wanted Ukraine to not join NATO and for Ukraine to stop bombing their own citizens in the Donbass region where there was a lot of Russian separatists. Is that a big ask? I mean, NATO wasn't even supposed to expand after the Soviet Union collapsed, but they did anyway, and Russia put up with it until it came to the countries that they border. Like, seriously, what would the United States do if Mexico was trying to join the Axis powers during World War II? If our neighbor that bordered our country was going to join our enemies in an alliance, what would we do? First, we'd threaten them. We'd threaten Mexico. And if they didn't listen, we'd probably put some troops along the border, a little show of force. And if they continued not to listen, what would we do? Wait for them to coordinate all their resources and attack us? No, we would attack them in self-defense to prevent a future attack. So wake up, people. We caused this shit in Ukraine. We could have prevented this. And instead of the U.S. citizens calling for peace, we're sitting around Don's Diner cheering on Congress, giving Ukraine the money to get the job done. Ring, ring. You've reached the United States government. We can't come to the phone right now. We're busy carrying out our planned demolition of the country. Please leave your name and number, and after we're done imploding the economy, bankrupting the citizens, censoring any dissent, vaccinating the population, transferring all the wealth to the elites, destroying our borders, decriminalizing crime, confusing your kids about gender, sexualizing your children, destroying the food supply, and destroying your access to affordable energy, we'll call you back. Beep. In today's episode, we're going to look at propaganda. We touched on censorship last episode, and it's the one-two punch of censorship and propaganda that is responsible for the fanatics in Group 1 and just the unconscious manipulation of our population. And don't take my word for it. Here's what the U.S. Army Psychological Operations Recruitment video says. Anything we touch is a weapon. We can deceive, persuade, change, influence, inspire. We come in many forms. We are everywhere. That's a quote from the U.S. Army Psychological Operations Recruitment video, which came out in May of this year. The U.S. government is waging psychological warfare on the American citizens. Nick, that's a conspiracy theory. Okay, fair enough. But let's look at it, all right? Let's look at what psychological warfare is, how it's used, and then just see if that lines up with object reality, which would prove to us that it's true. 
Psychological warfare, according to the RAND Corporation, quote, involves the planned use of propaganda and other psychological operations to influence the opinions, emotions, attitudes, and behavior of opposition groups, end quote. Most of my adult life, the government has been bombarding the citizens with propaganda campaigns aimed at keeping us compliant, easily controlled, and supportive of the police state's various efforts either here with our militarized police or abroad. The government is so confident in its powers of manipulation that it's taken to bragging about them. Check that video out in the description. The U.S. Army's 4th Psychological Operation Group, the branch of the military responsible for psychological warfare, just released a recruiting video and touts its efforts to, quote, pull the strings, turn everything they touch into a weapon, be everywhere, deceive, persuade, change, influence, and inspire. I think we'd be naive to think that all these psychological operations only happen, uh, I don't know, in foreign lands against our foreign enemies. So I wanted to look at some of the ways that our government can, continues to wage this psychological warfare on the unsuspecting citizenry of their own country. So number one would be you weaponize violence. With an alarming regularity, the nation continues to be subjected to spats of violence that terrorize the public, destabilize the country's ecosystem, and give the government greater justifications to crack down, lock down, and institute even more authoritarian policies for the so-called sake of national security without any objections from the citizenry. Have we seen any of that? Next one, we weaponize surveillance, pre-crime, and pre-thought campaigns. So this is when we use the surveillance and the digital stalking and the data mining of the American people, where there's little room for indiscretion, imperfections, or active independence. Right, so when the government sees all and knows all and has abundance of laws to render even the most seemingly, I don't know, law-abiding citizen a criminal and a lawbreaker, you know that old adage that you get nothing to worry about if you get nothing to hide? That no longer applies. They're classifying people that disagree with the government domestic terrorists. And we get those threat assessments or behavioral sensor warning, flagged words, suspicious activity, all generated by our automated eyes and ears, the social media, the behavioral sensing software, and the citizen spies in group one that report shit. Did that offend you? Report it. Did you not like that content? Did it make you think? Report it. See something. Censor something. All of those have the makings for this dystopian nightmare that I'm a little concerned about because everywhere I look, I just see evidence of it. Because now the government's war on crime has now veered into the realm of social media. You've got government agents adopting fake social media identities in order to surveil, target, and capture potential suspects. you got the 80 FBI agents working on looking at tweets and reporting people to Twitter. Tech giants working with the government, leveling their own social justice by way of digital tyranny and corporate censorship and censoring and muzzling whoever they want, whenever they want, just making up rules. Talked about censorship yesterday, and that's just, this is just the beginning. This digital censorship, then you got digital currencies, we warned about that. A tool for government surveillance of citizens to control every one of your financial transactions. Again, look at China. Millions of individuals and businesses blacklisted as quote, unworthy, based on your social media credit score that grade them based on whether they've been good citizens. So this is, you know, this is good for Christmas, right? Have you been a good boy this year, Nick? Well, let's see. What's my social credit score? 
Oh, it's bad. Sorry, you've been banned from accessing financial markets, buying real estate, and traveling by air or train. Better luck next year. Also, a tactic of this operation is weaponizing compliance. Hmm, when have we seen that? Because even the most well-intentioned government law or program can be and has been perverted, corrupted, and used to advance illegitimate purposes once profit and power are added to the equation. Hmm. War on terror, war on drugs, war on COVID-19, war on illegal immigration. All these programs started out as a legitimate response to a pressing concern, right? It's that problem, action, solution. So they made up these problems. Oh, we got a war on terror, war on drugs, COVID-19. And then it looks to the naked eye like a legitimate response to a pressing concern. But it ends up becoming a weapon of compliance and control in the police state's hands. They will weaponize entertainment. I mean, shit, for the past century, the Defense Department's Entertainment Media Office has provided Hollywood with equipment, personnel, technical expertise at the taxpayer's expense. And in exchange, the military-industrial complex has gotten a starring role in blockbuster films like, I don't know, anyone seen Top Gun or Top Gun Maverick? I mean, that just translates into free advertising for the Warhawks, the recruitment for foot soldiers for the military empire. Guess the taxpayers get all patriotic, you know, because they got to foot the bill for all these endless wars. And remember what Elmer Davis, a CBS broadcaster, said, who was appointed to the head of Office of War Information, quote, the easiest way to inject a propaganda idea into most people's minds is to let it go through the medium of, of an entertainment picture when they don't realize they are being propagandized, end quote. We also have the weaponizing of behavioral science and nudging. President Obama, who issued an executive order directing federal agencies to, quote, use behavioral science methods to minimize bureaucracy and influence the way people respond to government programs. The government will also weaponize desensitization campaigns, lulling us into a false sense of security. You get the invasive surveillance, the extremism reports, the civil unrest, the protests, the shootings, the bombings, the military exercises, the active shooter drills, the lockdown, color-coded alert, threat assessment system. All this shit has conspired to acclimate us and just accept this police state willingly and even gratefully. Like, oh, great, we want this shit. Weaponizing fear and propaganda. The language of fear is spoken effectively by politicians on both sides of the aisle, shouted by media pundits on the mainstream media, marketed by the corporations, and codified in a bureaucratic law that do little to make our lives safer and more secure. And finally, they weaponize the future. With greater frequency, the governments around the world have been issuing these weird warnings about the dire need to prepare for this dystopian future that, that awaits us unless we can, you know, stave off climate change or whatever the fuck. Check out all these resources in the links. The end goal of all these mind control campaigns, packaged in the guise of the greater good, welfare of humanity is always the alibi of the tyrants, to see how far the American people will allow the government to go in reshaping the country in their image of a totalitarian police state. I mean, is the U.S. government looking out for your best interests? Are they a friend to freedom? And this is where I've gotten to. When the government views itself as superior to its citizens, right? When it no longer operates to benefit us, to benefit we the people, to have their actions promote human flourishment instead of suffering, when the people are no longer able to peacefully reform their government, speak out against their government, when the government officials cease to act like public servants, when elected officials no longer represent the will of the people, 
when the government routinely violates the rights of the people and perpetuates more violence against the citizens than the criminal class, when the government spending is unaccountable and unaccounted for, and when the government is no longer bound by the laws of the Constitution, then you no longer have a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We the people who think, who reason, who take a stand, who resist, who demand to be treated with the dignity of care, who believe in freedom and justice for all, have become undervalued citizens of this weird-ass totalitarian state that views people as expendable once they've outgrown their usefulness to the state. And what I'm telling you is the way we defeat whatever the hell this is, is to think for yourself, think critically, be skeptical, never obey in advance, and never go along with a bad idea based on a falsehood. We the people have the real power if we don't give it away to the few in exchange for our safety.